Good morning, everyone. What a wonderful time of worship it's been. What a blessing to just be in God's presence. Um, we've been going through John, the Gospel of John, and we're on John chapter 10. And we're going to, John chapter 10 is called the, the Shepherd's Discourse, and what's known as and because we're looking at Jesus as a good shepherd, but there are a lot of other dynamics that, that get unpacked in this chapter. And it's quite an un, unusual one because in the book of John, there are not that many, and some would say there are no parables, or some say they do, but generally the parables that are mentioned in the other Gospels aren't mentioned in the book of John. And this one's more than a parable. It's like an imagery that just keeps on changing, but gives us insight into the spiritual realm, into kingdom dynamics, and then also into dynamics that threaten the kingdom. And so I feel like this is such a relevant one for where we are at um, as a church, universal and local, and just for us as individuals. And it really also has to do with some imposters. And um, you, when you are faking it, you can only fake it for so long. We in our home have a, a little bit of a disequilibrium when it comes to our animals and our kids. And you know I like telling stories about both, and this involves both. But we had... Um, our kids and our, our, um, our dogs started to show maternal instincts. And so when our son was crying, she would go and she would actually pick toys up and she would get quite worried and she would go and kind of call us and she would drop toys and it was very sweet. And then as they got older and they got their own beds, they would sometimes jump on the bed and cuddle up with them, very sweet, or if they were crying, sometimes sit at the cot. But then things started to shift a little where I started to think I was co-parenting with the Vimarana because she really does get involved. And um, one thing that's come in really handy that she started doing lately is that if you have a parent and you know this toilet time and shower time is just not sacred. And she's actually started patrolling the room some. So sometimes she'll just stand in the room at the entrance and just chase the kids away if they're screaming and coming to disturb my time. So I don't actually want to get rid of that. Um, but also she's learned my stern voice. And when I'm starting to speak and raise my voice, she actually gets involved and she doesn't bite, but she gently comes and she just starts pecking them a bit on the, on the, on the, on the neck. And it's quite a handy thing, but it's probably showing that she thinks she's the mother. And so we are training our kids to, to get her to, to obey them. But you know, when you think you're something and you act like something, but you're not something, sooner or later it's going to show up. And that's what was happening um, in the spiritual realm and the spiritual dynamic in Jesus' time. And the Pharisees were around, and they were putting a whole lot of opposition to Jesus. And we're seeing it continually through the Gospel of John. And as we look over here, we see, as I said, the Good Shepherd discourse. But we also see that this shepherd imagery is used throughout the Old Testament. So if you know your Old Testament, you'll know... Um, a lot of the types that pointed to what Jesus would be like and pointed to a savior were shepherds themselves. And so then you even see um, Jacob and Joseph and Moses and, and David who, who even jeopardized his own life for the sake of his sheep. And then in Psalm 22 and 23 and 24, you see the, this good shepherd emerging and how he's so beautifully going to care for his sheep. And now we're in the New Testament and we see this image coming out again of the good shepherd who loves his sheep. And in John chapter 10, Jesus starts by saying, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees. Now this phrase, verily, verily, is quite unique to the, the gospel of John. It's used regularly and, and Jesus uses it 
And he often says it at the beginning of something he's going to say. And it's interesting because verily, verily, the root word is from the Hebrew, then goes into Greek, and it's actually, um, it's actually amen. So as we say, you know, at the end of a prayer, when you agree with someone, it's like, amen, preach it. It's because you're stepping into agreement, you're saying, let it be, yes, this is true. And so Jesus starts essentially by saying, amen, amen. Um, and, and it's basically a call to pay attention. It was a call to, for the Pharisees to pay attention, and I really believe it's a call for us to pay attention, calling us to, to focus. And then he starts speaking about the Pharisees. I tell you, Pharisees. So those are who he was addressing. And there's a spoiler alert, he's going to insult the Pharisees. He's not going to be making friends with them, and we see it. He's going to be giving them three major insults and challenges, as it was. And the first is that he actually calls them strangers. Now, it's interesting because the Pharisees were known as the shepherds of Israel. That was their calling. And so he calls them strangers in verse 5. Then in verse 8, he gets a bit more severe. He calls them thieves and robbers. And then in verse 12 and 13, he calls them hirelings, which is basically a hired servant. And so he's not about winning friends and influencing people. And in fact, Jesus often seemed to to have it in for the Pharisees. And because we will later speak about the devastation that they were really causing to the faith. But he goes on to say, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. And in those days, there was this common um, sheep pen, this fold that, that many flocks could go into and share. And so they would all go in and get, because often I guess they were grazing in similar areas, maybe according to seasons. And so there would be an area where they could come and they could be safe. And interestingly enough, this area didn't have a door because one of the shepherds, or maybe all of them would be, but the shepherd would put himself in the door and he acted as the door. He was the protection. And I don't know if you look at that, does it remind you of anything that you've seen in the Old Testament to diagram of? Anyone care to guess? The tabernacle. Doesn't it look like a diagram of the tabernacle? One entrance. And when there's images of salvation, if you think about in in Noah's time in the ark, a door that people get called through, that entrance, there's an entrance way here, there was an entrance into the tabernacle, there's one way to be saved. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And we see this image emerging again, the one way. And not just that, but if you think about the, the, what he's cautioning here, he says, um, anyone that doesn't come through the gate but climbs by any other way is a thief and a robber. So there were other people trying to get into the situation. And you think, how do thieves and robbers enter? They will be sneaky. They will find any weakness. They will come in the dead of night when you are fast asleep. They will attack in the vulnerability because that's what thieves and robbers do. And if you think about who comes through your door, it's those that are trusted. It's the safe place. It's those that are familiar, those that have the key. And so this image is a powerful one. And he's saying that there are thieves and robbers coming in here. Then verse 2, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So you see this beautiful relationship emerging of the sheep and the shepherd. A sheep that knows the shepherd's voice and will only respond to the shepherd's voice. 
And if you look at this relationship, it does seem like quite an intimate one that, that the sheep, even if another one called its name, and they've tested this, is that the sheep won't respond because it's its name and its voice that they're responding to. And, um, and also, if you, one image, and if you've been around church circles, people often say, you know, sheep are very dumb creatures. And I've kind of been thinking about that because I don't want to be known as dumb and I'm so helpless because we're also told we have the mind of Christ and he's empowered us and everything that, that Jesus has done, we will be able to do. So I'm not, you know, I speak for myself, I'm no fool. And so you, I started reading about shepherds. Are they really as dumb as, we, as they say we are? And I happened upon an article called The Intelligence, the Complexity and the Individuality of Sheep. And apparently they are really smart, smarter than we thought. And apparently they actually have, for animals, very complex emotions. They can tell when a sheep is feeling shame. It hangs its head. And it actually is a very sensitive creature who's in need of this protection. So yes, they're prone to wonder. They're prone to bolt. But a sheep actually can follow a leader and needs a shepherd. And the shepherd, it relies on it. But it's actually a very close and intimate relationship if the shepherd is good. The way the shepherd, the sheep, and I guess it's life, is actually determined by how good the shepherd is. If it's a shepherd that neglects and turns its back on the sheep, then the sheep is going to be in jeopardy. So there's still a complete reliance, even though he might be a sensitive little soul. And so we look at this and we just see how Jesus so lovingly leads. If we say, see here when um, he... Um, the gatekeeper opens the gate and the sheep listen to his voice and he keeps them because now the, the gatekeepers, the, the shepherds would come one by one and call their flock. So they're calling them out. And so this is that picture of the, the flock are being called out now to follow the, the shepherd. Um, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And I want you to ask you today, what does God's leadership look like in your life? What does a good shepherd's leadership look like to you? Because, you know, we so often want earthly leaders in our church, in the world, in our communities, at work. We want good leaders because we love to follow. But so much so that we can rely too much on, on human leadership when we are called to be completely led and surrendered to God. That is, he is our good shepherd. And isn't it amazing that he has called us by name? He has called us, and if you look in, in the Gospels and you see how when Jesus spoke to people, he so often used their name. There was power in it because he was calling an individual. The groups didn't often matter to him, but he would hone in on the people because he had called them, and he was lovingly calling them. I read one, what one commentator said, and it's, he said it's not fact, and he can't you know, in any way substantiate it, but he was saying he really believes that one day when either you die or when you know, God takes us all to heaven, we will hear him call our name, and there will be such a peace and a comfort in it. And he said it's just a, something he thinks because you always see Jesus calling by name and calling his shepherd. And so I like that idea, but I can't substantiate it either. So just a nice thought. Um, verse 5 says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus uses figure or speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Do you see again that contrast? We saw in, in um, John chapter 9 when Shelley preached about the blind man who could see, and then interestingly enough, the seeing Pharisees couldn't see what was happening. And here we see it again that we see the shepherds um, who know nothing about the sheep. 
They know nothing about the good shepherd, and they don't actually know how to look after sheep. And so we're seeing this contrast again of how they were, in a sense, repelling the flock. And I was wondering, it got me thinking about how do you think that people actually felt about the Pharisees in those days? And how would they respond to them if they saw them walking in the road? I wonder if they would avoid them. Maybe if they were doing the right thing, they would want to be seen. But if they were doing the wrong thing, maybe they wanted to hide away and, and dart away. But that's what hypocrisy and the, and the false shepherd does. It doesn't lead people into safe pastures and makes them bolt and run away. And we can often be religious about it. And we can often repel people from God's kingdom and God's truth because we have our preferences. We have a way of communicating things that doesn't represent God. We don't want people to fear us and fear what we have to offer when we have a good shepherd that we have to offer. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, verily, verily, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. So he just reiterates what he had said earlier. The sheep aren't listening to this. Then verse 9, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pastures. And I think it's such a beautiful, it's almost got like John 3.16 sort of imagery of what salvation really looks like from the good shepherd. And so he speaks about, I'm the gate. So he's the entrance way. He's the only way to get to God. Then he speaks about through me. He makes it possible. It was a prophetic um, insight into what he was going to do through his death on the cross and the victory that he would bring and the salvation. But he also says, whoever, um, whoever enters through me, that whoever, when remember it was exclusively for the Jews, now it's for the Jew and the Gentile. Whoever enters in, there needs to be an entry point into faith. We need to be born again. You can't just make assumptions when it comes to your faith. You need to step into a relationship with God. There's an entry point. And then he says you will be saved. He gives beautiful assurance that you will have this deliverance, this new life. You can step into it. And then there's this beautiful picture, though, in spite of all of it, of freedom, the coming in and the going out. In the Old Testament, there was this, this phrase that got used quite regularly about God. He would bless your coming in and your going out. And it almost just spoke about your movements. And so often we can walk around in fear. Am I doing the right thing? You know, is God with me? Is he busy? And, and there's just this beautiful freedom that we have. It's not legalism. It's not about the, you know, certain behaviors and movements at certain times. There's a freedom because you're in safe pastures. It reminds me of Psalm 23 where David speaks about the Lord being his shepherd and just celebrating that freedom in him. And then as we move on, we see this, this image shift a little bit now because now we're going to see an image of a thief and the thief is now not the thieves and robbers, the Pharisees. Now the thief we're talking about is the devil. And we talk about the shepherd as well. And then there's the hireling. And the hireling or the hired help would have been the Pharisees. So there's a slight change in, in the image. But this, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible actually has this contrast in it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I was thinking again, why does this verse connect with our hearts so much? I don't know about you, but this is one of my favorite verses. And I thought, you know, it's because living this life is pretty tough sometimes. And so when I come and I hear, and I'm feeling depleted, and I hear that, that I, he's come that I might have life and have it to the full, 
that just totally just tops my, my own faith tank up, and that is what I need. I actually was contemplating it last night. Jono's away. He's gone to Bloemfontein for the weekend to see his mom, and, um, and I thought it was a very busy weekend, and I kind of like gave him my blessing very, you know, kind of um, reluctantly to, to go, um, knowing that it was going to be a crazy weekend, but I carved out a certain amount of time in the afternoon when I was going to just have my quiet time, like just pray, just get focused, and everything in it was compromised, and I I felt like God was actually, well, actually, I don't know, but he was speaking to me possibly about a bit of pride because, you know, sometimes you can have that mom pride of I like hold this family together sort of thing. And I sometimes when, when Jono brings the kids to church to the 10 a.m. and I've been here earlier and they've got knots in the hair, not dressed the way I wouldn't necessarily dress them. And I have this little like, haha moment, uh, you know, and you quite like it when they phone you and don't know what to have for supper. <laughs> it's like a mix, actually. I don't actually like it. <laughs> I mustn't false advertise here. It's hard, but you sometimes it just boosts that, that thought, idea that you might have about how, how you, special you are and you to your family. And I guess I didn't realize, and I was reminded how special Jono is in the place that he has in our, in our home. Because within four or five hours, so many things, and it was all the things that he usually does in the home went wrong. So I don't know who else didn't have water this weekend. It's been like since. So we got sick and tired of showers with borehole water in our cozies in the garden. And it was fun the first day. And then yesterday when it was raining and we got covered in mud. And I, the same dog I've been telling you about has a bladder problem. It's probably an overshare, but there was a lot of washing to do. And so stinky house, a lot of washing, a lot of mud. And then things slowly, I'm like, well, I'll make a lovely chicken and it'll be done for tomorrow and we can have some for supper. And then the gas ran out and I hate changing gas and don't actually know how to. Then I decided that the water was taking so long, so too long to come on and I needed to actually flush the toilets and do something. So I set up a tank in the kitchen. I'm like, I'm totally nailing this. And then I'm going to take the hose pipe and I'm going to fill the toilets up, the tanks up so we can flush the loos. I forgot, though, that our hose pipe has holes in it. So I pulled it in. I shouted, like, switch the hose on, switch the hose on, started flooding our lounge. And then I, and then the, the um, hose pipe, you know, you have those nozzles that you can turn it off. So I thought, this is fine. It's foolproof. Um, so I'm the fool. It popped off. <laughs> and so now I don't have any way to stop the hose pipe. So it's going everywhere. Filled the toilets, the house, we've got wooden floors, so they were flooded. So now I'm having to start a fire, which I also don't do, to dry the floors, try and change the gas, try and dry it, try and live life without water. And I got, and it totally ate into all my time. I just got frazzled. And by 9.30, my afternoon that I sat down, I finally got to sit down. I went, well, that was terrible. <laughs> I do need my husband. A light fitting dropped out. It was, you know, now that I think about it, maybe he's orchestrated it. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. Anyway, this is like, this is sounding a little bit too dodgy here. Anyway, I sat down and I was like, Lord, I actually feel depleted. I know these aren't the biggest problems, but in this moment, I just actually feel completely empty. I've got to come this morning, bring what I think you've put on my heart, but right now I'm like rock bottom. And God so beautifully ministered to me. And actually it was in the process of worship this morning. And he reminded me of what abundance really looks like. And just how he so beautifully leads and ministers to our hearts. And the word abundance in the Greek is actually, um, it's perison. And it's actually, it's like a mathematical, it's used in math. So it's a surplus. It's the extra. It was also the word that was used when Jesus fed the 5,000. There was a surplus. There was more for people. There was this abundance that they could take. So it's so much more 
then abundance. It's actually just this, there's more and more. There's a surplus. You will never get hungry in God's kingdom. There is always a kindness offered to us. There is always an abundance. He is always there as our good shepherd, and we get to do life with him, and he will never, ever leave us. And what a blessing that is to know that. And I think that so often, though, we have the problem of looking for our salvation in, if only my husband could come back, if only I was rich, if only I could have more help in the house, or this, or better equipment, or supplies, or, and we're always looking for something tangible to make our lives easier when we have a good shepherd who's there to give us the abundant life. We cheapen abundant life if we think it's something physical. It is a state that God offers us. It's a peace. And more, it's more an inner working than I think we, we actually know. And so he comes and he offers this, this beautifully safe pasture that for me also just sometimes represents a wonderful oasis in the desert, streams in the wilderness. But this, the thief comes to steal and rob and destroy, and he will try and remove the peace that God wants to give us. And so that's why I love that we had a moment to pray for for anxiety and fear, to minister to each other. Because even coming to church on a Sunday, I thought this is the beauty of it. We get to do life with God Monday to Saturday, but on Sunday we get this abundance, this flowing out. But I get it on the week too. But when I come here, I'm just offered something in community. And it's crazy that we sometimes have to still convince people that church is a good place to come. When we were worshiping together in that song and, and Shirley was just leading, the team were leading, that is abundance. We get to worship God and he changes our hearts to make Him us more like him. What a beautiful picture. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep or in place of his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So in a sense, he's like this, this, this false shepherd. Because he gets paid for it, he's just in it for the money. He's in it for what he can get and not for what he can give. He's not a true shepherd. And there was a painting called The Hireling in, done in 1851 by, by a man called William Hunt. And, and there he actually painted this picture of this, this shepherd. And he's just draped over this beautiful woman and their cheeks are flushed and he seems a bit drunk. And there's a whole lot of sheep behind him in the ditch. And this man's commentary about it and, and later disclosed that, that it, for him it was a comment on the church. And the fact that, that a lot of the, the clergy were having these, these highfalutin sort of arguments and debates about theology when the sheep of the day were just falling, falling either into sin or, or being destroyed, losing their faith, losing their way, and they were so focused on something else. What a sad reality that people sometimes feel that. We're going to get back to the hireling, but we're just going to quickly look at the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And the Jews who heard these words were again divided, 
Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And isn't it in that situation so interesting that we once again see a divide? Those that God is speaking to, they're responding to the truth. They're weighing up everything that Jesus is doing and saying, and they're saying, yes, this is the Father. And then you have others, the hirelings, who are going, even accusing Jesus, as he explains the sacred way of salvation. They're looking at him, and they're actually saying he's demon-possessed. They're calling him out for having an opposite spirit. And it's such a, I guess it would have been confusing for some, just seeing different people's responses to Jesus. But that is the truth, that different people respond differently to Jesus. And then we look at the hireling quickly, and then we're going to actually be moving into a time of, of communion. And just once again, coming back to the work of Jesus, because I didn't just want to um, quickly go over it, but, but just to end there. But if we, I just didn't want to leave this, because it's quite an interesting character that gets addressed in, in John chapter 10. And it's something that an image that gets pointed out in, in um, the Old Testament as well. And actually, funny enough, I was wondering if, if you look at the, um, the account of Solomon and his wisdom, and I was wondering if there's maybe more to it, that it actually was making a bigger point than just Solomon had wisdom, because you see these two women, and one of them, the baby is theirs, and the other, it isn't. And so what does Solomon say? Cut it in half. And the one who is the real baby says, no, let's stop it from getting cut in half. Isn't that showing maybe a bit of a heart here of what the shepherds would look like, what a real shepherd would look like, and someone who doesn't even care for the sheep? I just couldn't stop thinking about that picture, and I just thought there's also more to that even just when it comes to our own hearts and what we really care about. Do we really care about God? Do we really care about his church? Or when it doesn't matter, you know, we care about it when it matters. Or are you the kind of person that's going to step up and go, you know, don't cut the baby in, in half. Ezekiel 34 verse 2 says this, and, and it has some warnings in the Old Testament to the shepherds. It said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? So sadly, what happened is that there just was this inward focus where the shepherds just were focused on themselves. And not only that, Isaiah 56 has this picture of self-indulgence and self-pleasure where it said they are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. Verse 12 says, come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our full of beer and tomorrow will be like today or even better there's this whole, the next thing, the next thing. What is it going to be? What does the next day have to offer? And there's clearly no concern for the sheep. And from that, we can see a few things. Is firstly, they don't understand spiritual matters. They are not people of the word, living life by the Spirit. They are so inward focused. They are driven by their own desires, and that is what governs them. They're just in it for what they can get. They drink too much. They indulge too much. They go down the road of things that we are cautioned not to go down. And they're just cruising through life, enjoying pleasure. And those are the ones that we've said, watch out for. Watch out if we see churches and pastors and church leaders and church communities that are so focused on themselves and what they, what's in it for them that they forget about what God is doing and the flock. It's so incredibly sad. I don't know if you saw this week in the news. And this one affected us because we carry the name Baptist. But what's happened in the Southern Baptists in America 
And just as I clicked in an article, and, and it just was horrific, just with me sick to my stomach, because we've been in a season of church leaders just being exposed left, right, and center. And here was another. It was a list of a few hundred abusers who the church had actually covered up in America for. It was absolutely disgusting. And we, it went from adult abuse, and it was rife with child abuse. I don't even want to share it. I got a bit emotional in the 8 a.m., so I'm not going to now. But it's just, it's, it's so incredibly disgusting and wrong that churches and church leaders can, sorry, yeah, I'm going, can get away with this sort of thing. And that churches, the, the thing that got me was that the victims were the ones that were made to feel bad. <laughs> How sick is our world when church leaders are covering up for each other? And may we never, may God just protect our church, may we never get to the point where we are covering things like that up. That is just not of God, and it's not how you take care of sheep. And so as we, as we face it, I also just thought that I think we are in a season of pruning. I really believe it, that, that if you think Jesus in this day was, was highlighting the Pharisees because they were doing such harm to the kingdom. And that's why he seems to lock on load on them. If there's ever a group of people that you think Jesus just had it in for them, there was a reason. It was because they were destroying the kingdom. They were destroying what God had come for, what Jesus had come for and was wanting to do. And I actually think this is part of God's plan, that we are seeing this happen. So as much as it distresses me, I believe that the church is being purified and that we, we, things are being exposed. And the Pharisees, the hirelings, are actually getting exposed. And this isn't to say that we don't have our weaknesses and we all battle and we mustn't feel condemned. I was once again reminded of, of Simon Peter and how God called someone who was a sinner. He called someone who had a history of denying him and he had a purpose for him. And this is where I want to land it and for all of us to challenge how we are shepherding others. What does your shepherding look like? We've spoken about you know, how we need to be cautious in the church and be cautious when we're calling leaders and we're moving into that season. We need, to, we need to keep an eye on them, and, 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 and as they hold us accountable, we are also part of a community where, where we hold each other accountable. But now my question is, what does your shepherding look like? Who has God put in your flock, your family, your kids, those that you work with? Who has God placed in your life, and what does your shepherding look like to them? Jesus says this. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Step number one in being a shepherd is just love, loving Jesus beyond anything else. His reply, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Feed, take care of them. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. That was the challenge. That was what we need to do. That is what we've been entrusted with. We don't have a faith just for ourselves. We are all called to feed sheep and to, to copy and emulate our good shepherd. He's put a, a model out for us. We look at the life of Jesus, and that is exactly what we are called to do. So my question is not how much you just care about your own faith, but how much do you care about the faith of others and how are you tending the flock? We have beautiful opportunities to feed those around, to feed them with God's living word, with his spirit, to come alongside people and pastor them. And that is something that we all called to do. 
we're going to be moving into into a time of communion and um, if you do have kids in Sunday school and you think they they might be at their, their wits end, you are welcome to to leave at, at any point. But just one verse that comes later in, the, in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never per- perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. That's the God that we serve. That's the salvation that we have. He holds us in his hands. That is where our salvation lies, and it depends on him. It is what he offers, and it's a safe pasture, and no one can ever snatch you out of his hands. So, Trevor, if I can just get you to to play while we just move into just a little bit of a time of reflection, and you can just spend a bit of time. It will take a while for us all to come and um, get our our communion if you if you are going to take but in that time while you're waiting for others just to really reflect on what is God doing in your heart firstly is there anything that you need the good shepherd to to free you from and does anything with the of the the hired hand the the hireling does anything resonate with you that you see a weakness in yourself I saw weaknesses in myself and I know there are things God's God is challenging me on And we have the good shepherd to lead and guide us. And that's where our help comes from. So spend a bit of time just having a time of forgiveness, having a time of confession, coming before God again. And then we're going to celebrate and just pray together. So if you can just hold on to your your communion and then we'll we'll just have a time where we, we take it together. But Lord, I just pray that you will speak to us. What a privilege to celebrate the good shepherd. Lord, thank you that we don't have to step into faith and relationship with Pharisees or even the thief who comes to rob, steal, and destroy, but we come to step into relationship with the Good Shepherd. And so, Lord, speak to us. Lord, we want to model our life on you, and we want to live our life for you. So we dedicate this time to you. Amen. As we eat and drink together, we also remember the unity that we have in Christ. And this um, on Wednesday, we had a great church meeting where we put a core committee together. And as, as we looked at John chapter 10, I was reminded of how we just need grace over this period and the season we're going into, um, and that God does protect his flock. And so I thought it would be very fitting for us over this table just to pray together thank him for what he's done, but also for what he's going to do. And just as a body, commit the process to him and acknowledge that we need our good shepherd to lead and guide us. So Lord, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for the challenge from your word. Lord, thank you that even in our imperfections, you're the perfect father, that your ways are good and we can trust you completely. Lord, we dedicate this next season to you. We dedicate the core committee to you. Every leader who is going to be gathering together to pray, Lord, to hear your voice. And Lord, to seek your will and your guidance for our church. Not our will, but your will. Lord, we pray for protection over this process. Lord, we pray that we will continually be a church that looks to you. Lord, we know we need you. We know we need your wisdom, your guidance, your peace everything that you have to offer. And so we commit it to you, Lord. 
We pray for the homes of those who are going to be leading in this process because we know that serving in, in different capacities in the church can be trying. So, Lord, we pray for protection over their homes and over their lives too. Lord, may this be a joyful season where we seek you together.